Welcome to My Name is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve. Hey, this is Pete Bauer. And I'm Dorothea Bauer. And this is My Name is Not Steve. We are still not named Steve. Nope. We are storytellers that talk about storytelling, Dorothea. Yes, we are. This is season three, episode eight. Today we're going to talk about, we're actually going to create characters from scratch. Sound interesting? It does. It sounds super duper exciting. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Well, I'm in the process of creating a new character for a new series. And I just thought it would be interesting if we just kind of, on the top of our head, created Nemesis, Nemesi, Arch Enemy. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds way too much like Enema, and I don't think that's where you are going. (laughs) We don't want that, ever. We'll just figure it out, because I think the way we would approach that, me and you, would be very different. Well, how would we approach it? Let's tell the listeners. Well, let's do an update first. All right. All right, so I am still working on the fourth Gabby Wells novel, and if I can say, I have just written two really crappy chapters. (laughs) You just had to power through. It was... awful it was so this is what happens when you're a writer is sometimes things don't work so you know i did these cue card things right i do and i thought that would really help me a lot and it does to a certain extent however lessons learned that the obstacles that i gave myself were not strong enough so as i powered through these obstacles that would happen like very early on in the chapter. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of words left that I have to fill. Data chapter is whatever you make it. <laughs> it's not 200 <laughs> words. I do know that. It could be. Well, these weren't even good 200 words. <laughs> no. So anyway, one of the problems that I have as a writer is that I cannot jump around in a story. Like, I think you're a character-based person. So you could, right? You think yeah, so? I, well, I write scenes. I focus more on piecing individual scenes together. It's almost like the funny thing is, is that you are the film director and it's almost like I write like a film director. I can film out of order and then put the story together later. As long as you have the outline, you know what the story is. Because like we talked about, I am a character person. So if I feel really inspired to write a certain conflict that a character is experiencing, I'm not going to wait till I get to that point in the story. But you are a plot person. It has become like such a problem for me. So so you need to build on the plot that you have already established. Yeah, I can't just jump ahead. So here's the deal. I had these, and I'm going to have to go back and fix them because these chapters really kind of suck. But I have this this situation where Gabby gets to a place, and then there's, there's a moment or moments that occur between her getting to that place and the really cool stuff, the whole like mayhem kicking off. Okay. It's important stuff, but you know, it's kind of character stuff. So (laughs) it's a little bit of a a challenge for me. And because it's character stuff is, is not my first inclination. I can't hop around because I, I don't know what that character's emotional state is going to be when the mayhem starts. So I have to write through this stuff. I can't skip around. And that kind of drives me nuts because there was a good week where I was like just looking at the page going, what the hell happens? There's not enough conflict. There's not enough struggle. This this challenge I had isn't isn't powerful enough. Gabby's head just fell off out of nowhere. Her head know? fell off? Yeah, her yeah, head fell off. It happens. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's based on a, a story my friend Bill used to say when he was 
He's married, as as I am, obviously. And he said one day that he always tests when his whether his wife is listening to him or not because he'll just add to the list of things he's saying, and then my head fell off. And if she just goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, then he's like, yep, lost her. <laughs> <laughs> so Gabby's, yeah, so then Gabby's head fell off. Yeah, it was very riveting. <laughs> I don't know. That's not even remotely the right word to like describe thinking, that kind of situation. Uh, my The first thing that popped in my head was some sort of Frankenstein image where you literally riveted your head back on. Uh, anyway, so so the thing with writing is that you just have to write even when you don't want to or it's not working. Because what you'll end up doing is you'll find some stuff that you like, some stuff you can keep. But I know when I go back and look at these two chapters, I'm just going to have to take it down to the bare bones and, and refashion it into something that's more powerful than it is. And with all creative work, it builds on itself. So even if you make these mistakes, even if you write things that you don't think are good, you can still use what you've written to inform your future writing choices. Like my college roommate was a painter. And, you know, when you're painting, you have to build on. Like you don't just do a couple of brushstrokes and you're like, all right, it's a, it's a genius work. Uh, there's a lot of thought that goes into it and you have to layer colors and and so like if she had just stopped halfway through her paintings wouldn't have been nearly as cool as they were when she finished no that's true and of course a book isn't finished unless you're done with it so it it's is that how it works (laughs) yeah well a lot of people start stuff but they don't finish it you know like me (laughs) (laughs) you may be one of those people that's true but i um i was so frustrated though just with this process just because Here's the thing, and, and I this is my hope. When I'm struggling writing, I'm very much a practical explainer of things, right? So, so what ends up happening is it'll be like, well, Pete then sat down and leaned <laughs> into the mic and started talking. You right? get back to your, when you're having a hard time, you go back to your screenplay Screen, writing yeah, days where right. it's exterior house day. That's <laughs> yes. all the information you need to know. It sucks. Instead of saying something like, as Pete approached the mic, all of the fears that he previously had as a child in public speaking or whatever came came back, or whatever, right? Wow, that was intense. Well, no, it wasn't. It was awful. But the point is, <laughs> is that, that that's what happens with me, is that when I'm really struggling, I'm just very much a, Gabby goes here, does this, Gabby goes here, does this. And even as I'm writing it, I know it sucks. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is so awful. Like, why isn't any better way, any more expressive way to explain this moment? Why isn't it coming to my head? Because there are plenty of times when you're writing and you really get in a groove where you are just describing things in multiple layers at once. And it's so awesome. It's irritating when that doesn't happen. But you know, that doesn't just apply to creative writing because I remember back when I was in high school, uh, when I was a sophomore, there was a paper that we had to write. It was a group project. And group projects are the worst. Like, they, they're just always awful. What always happened in your group projects, invariably? I always ended up doing them. <laughs> <laughs> there is actually So they were really time... bad for you because the, the group project <laughs> became a Dorothea project for four or five people. Well, there was actually one time I just did my section of the work. I refused to do anyone else's and my teacher wouldn't accept it. I'm like... He's like, he's like, it's not a finished project. So I understand where he's coming from, but I'm also like, I did my portion. So right. I was not happy about that. But this was a different group experience that was also ah. lovely. Um, <laughs> it ended up being me and this one guy writing the paper. And 
I don't remember what the paper was about. It was an AP world history class. So I'm sure it was something to do with history and analyzing history and stuff like that. But it was due in this class period and we didn't really know how to end it. Like I'm, I'm not obviously not finishing anything. I'm not great with conclusions. My introductory paragraphs <laughs> are fantastic. Honestly, my I always throughout my entire educational career, my conclusion paragraphs have been very weak. They've been the weakest part of the paper. And we really didn't know how to end this this paper. So we're sitting in the classroom during lunch, right before our history class, which is the next period. And we're like, well, we have to finish this because it's due. (laughs) We literally have no choice. We have to just figure something out. And you don't want to turn in a paper late when like 99% of it is done. Yeah, that's kind of stupid. (laughs) So we're just like, we just have to figure out a conclusion. So I'm sitting there and eventually I just type something that sounds good. It sounds smart. I'm really good at sounding smart. You are really good at BSing your way through stuff. And the guy looks at me and he's like, what does that even mean? I'm like, I have no idea. Honestly, it just sounds good. And we have five minutes. What does it mean to you? Because whatever that is, that's what it meant. But the best part about this is that when the teacher was going through and grading the papers, he actually pulled out that conclusion and that sentence in particular as a great way to wrap up this kind of paper. And he read it to the entire class. And... I remember looking at the guy who worked on the paper with me and he's like, he's like, what? And I'm like, I still don't know. Like, he's explaining what it means. I don't know what it means. But you know what? I'm glad it meant something to him. <laughs> Maybe it's like an abstract painting. You see in it right. what you need to. You project an answer onto it. So, yeah. So I think that that's true for all kinds of writing, not just fiction. Well, you know, they say one of the things you should do when you edit is is to actually edit backwards. Um, so edit the last chapter first and go backwards because oftentimes we rewrite as we go so many times in the beginning that the beginning is really well honed down and the end is kind of sloppy. But because you're in the story, you kind of forget it. So it's kind of good to to do that. Um, I have a feeling I'll be doing that a lot <laughs> with this novel. It's just been such a, much more of a struggle. Now I'm getting into the meat of the stuff that I'm really comfortable writing, so I'm looking forward to that. My my brain, ever since coming back from surgery and, and Austin, all, all that other stuff, my brain still has not turned into writer brain Pete. So it's really frustrating. Uh, I can't wait for that part of my brain to click on again. It's, I'm just powering through. It's just frustrating. That's one of the biggest frustrations about being a creative person is because when those creative juices are flowing, you feel inspired by God. Like you feel like connected, honestly, to heaven because you're like, this is so amazing and it's creative and it's so fulfilling. And then and then there's such a void when those creative juices are not flowing, especially when you have to keep working through it. You're just like, oh, man, this is nothing. Yeah, it's kind of like you either have Niagara Falls or a desert. Those are like your two options. Yeah. You know, it's funny because you say that about about the religious aspect of it. A lot of creative people are spiritual, not necessarily religious. But if you talk to a lot of the creative people, they realize that that inspiration is coming from something or somewhere. So many of them are, are very spiritual in nature, even though they may oppose some of the more organized aspects of religion. That they tend we, to be very that we connected like. to the universe. Right. That yeah. tends to be the thing. So anyway, so that's going on. That that writing experience is, is fun. So um, <laughs> the other thing we're doing is we're working on new Gabby Wells book covers, and you were trying some ideas with that. So Yeah, I've actually been trying a few different ideas that we haven't talked about, so I'll have several options for you to look at. Basically what's been happening, because I don't have Adobe Photoshop training, I just kind of figured out what I needed to do for work and classwork when I was in college. 
but sometimes I'll come across these like really cool tutorials on YouTube and I'm like, oh, let's see what the Gabby Wills book cover would look like if I did that. So <laughs> that's basically what's been happening. Yeah, there's nothing more frustrating <laughs> than knowing what you want to do and not having the ability to do it, like write a good chapter. <laughs> or walk without falling down. Well, that's your problem. But you know what? I like my life the way it is. I think that... Uh, Bruises and all. It's more interesting. Honestly... Spilled drinks. The fact that... Oh, the drinks I don't mind as much as, you know... Dropping things. I catch them most of the time. Running into walls. That leads to the bruises. And the bruises really don't bother me. Riding bikes into bushes. Okay. I lost control of a bike <laughs> on two occasions. Two? Yes. Two occasions. I don't think uh, that makes me... How many times do people get in car accidents that's totally their fault and they still think they're a good driver? Well, those people are also fools. Well, you know what? No one got hurt but me. So I think really, the bushes would disagree with you. The bushes have no opinion. <laughs> it's like a cow. <laughs> it's like a cow. It's moo. It's moo. Oh, that's a friend's reference. Okay. So anyway, you're working on the book covers. and. We have some cool it's ideas. Been fun. Yeah, we've talked about it. We have some cool ideas. And I will say that once we started playing around with that, you know, trying to gear ourselves more towards the young adult genre and, and so forth, more overtly, I should say, because that was always our intent. I don't know, honestly, if at the end of the day I'll actually like these covers as much. Well, I'm so glad I'm putting <laughs> no. hours. <laughs> Of time <laughs> into editing them. That's not what you know what I That's mean. We really great. <laughs> I really appreciate the support. So get back to it. No, you, it's just we really love our current book covers. So, like you know, it's my first book cover. I'm always going to have a fond place for it in my art. Does that get me out of it? Dad, your first book cover was not the book cover that we used with the cover oh, artist. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and. Uh, well, there goes my that argument. That <laughs> does not apply. You're allowed to have favorites. You're just not allowed to say them. Ah, uh, all right, never mind. Come on, man. You have to be supportive of your I, child. I, think... I am your only daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I am very proud of the work you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so in uh, in my new book series, the main character's name is Damien Hill. Yeah. Been trying to spend a lot of time getting to know that guy and trying to establish a lot of things. You obviously want to talk about their strengths. You want to talk about their weaknesses. You want to then try to make them have to face their weaknesses through the plot piece. And that's kind of how I come from a character perspective. Mm -hmm. And and the thing that I, I also need to work on, I just thought about this yesterday and we really haven't had the time to talk about it at all, is... There needs to be something cool that is really likable about the person outside of their job. Like, you know, I've heard about stories about, you know, there's a, I don't know, a sports reporter who loves to gourmet cook on the side, or there's a plumber who loves to paint or something like that, right? It's always good to have that because that's the way it is in real life, you know? My brother just threw a very intense <laughs> Lord of the Rings board game party, and it was really awesome. It, it was, was really, so really cool. cool. But that's a thing where if you didn't know, like writing that character, that's not something you may necessarily come up with. But it's always cool because it humanizes them. So I got to figure that out. But let's just talk about a little bit that when creating characters and we can just off the top of our heads kind of come up with, like I said, our arch nemesis for each of us. When you're looking at creating a character, what are the things that you think about? That's a good question. And it's kind of hard for me to answer off the top of my head because... 
a lot of times there are so many different characters because I'm crazy stewing around in my head and sometimes they just kind of form whereas you have plots that you want to build characters into I have people that are created in my head and then once they're realized to me like once I have a vision of them then I'm like all right well, what can I put them in what kind of situations can I make happen so because you're not a plot person you have these characters that kind of fill your brain and then they don't do anything Yes, pretty much, yeah. (laughs) So you and I were talking about this a little bit, and then we stopped because we wanted to have this conversation for the podcast. You were saying that the characters are kind of fully realized relatively quickly in your brain. And then, as you just said, then you have to kind of figure out things for them to do. Am I saying that right? Yeah, it's. I, I think it comes from my history as an actor because I can see people and, you know, create characters for them in my head. Dead people? Yeah. Do you see dead people? I do. Interesting. Yeah, it's really hard to explain, and it does make me sound like a crazy person. But again, I think it comes from my history as an actor, where the script gives you an outline for the character, but so much of what you have to portray is not written, is stuff that's just internalized and stuff that you have to visually express, either in your physicality or in your tone or a bunch of different things. So... For me, there have been moments where I think, oh, this would be a cool story. And then I try to find a character that fits into that. There have been those moments where plot has inspired me. But more consistently, characters will just kind of be realized in my head. And then I'm like, okay, well, what can I do with this? And I almost write with a goal in mind. So, well, I mean, everyone does. But what I mean by that is like, there are a lot of characters I read that are very similar. And there's a reason for that. Those stories have obviously been very successful. But then there's characters where I don't feel like they're getting enough story time. So I want to write a story for that character. So for example, I am, as you know, I'm not a very romantic person. What? (laughs) But I have such great friendships and I have such deep love for my friends. So the concept of sacrificial but platonic love is very important to me because I think that you can have really deep and important relationships with people without being romantically attracted to them. And that's, I think, one of the reasons you like the relationship between Scott and Gabby in the Gabby Wells series. It completely is. I love it. I love war movies and I love sports teams. So having that person in your corner kind of concept matters to me. Like if having the person to back you in a knife fight, those are the relationships that I'm interested in exploring. It reminds me of a, a talk I saw with Jason Everett where he talked about we naturally have these affections for things, but in today's society, everything has been sexualized. So you can have a natural attraction to someone's confidence, someone's, even their looks, the way they present themselves or their knowledge or whatever. Especially the young people today, they get confused because they think all of that equates to sexual attraction. And so what you're saying is that you're attracted to those relationships that don't fall into that trap of becoming sexualized because it doesn't have to be. A lot of that is just a very natural awareness and acknowledgement of someone else's character traits that you really appreciate. Absolutely. And there are interesting conflicts that come with those kind of relationships that don't necessarily come with other kinds. So, for example, if you look at male and a female who are best friends, like they rely on each other, they depend on each other, but there's no romantic elements to their relationship. That's awesome. That's great. And that's fantastic to write. But the reality is, is that later on in life, when they get married or have significant others, that relationship could be a problem because your significant other doesn't want to feel like someone else is more important to you. Right. So there are interesting conflicts that come with that sort of platonic love and that, that I guess, that army kind of relationship where it's like, I've got your back. But because I don't see a lot of those characters, because romance is obviously so powerful, I'm really interested in writing those kinds of stories. 
Well, for me, when I approach a character, it really is a function of plot. And this goes back to my screenwriting background, because as we talked about before, screenplays are not fully realized ideas. So a lot of the characters I, and I was just thinking about this as, as we've been talking about this today. So because of that, a lot of my characters were like two and a half dimensional. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's not your job to make them fully realized. It's the actor's job. So you, you leave a window of opportunity for them to add their creative piece to it. So historically, I've created two and a half dimensional characters, not three dimensional characters. And they've always been a function of the plot because the screenplays are plot driven. That's so, kind of funny to me because I know everything about my characters, things that aren't even written like I know about them. No, see, I don't know anything about them, honestly. So what I have to do is I usually will take one or two well one or multiple I should say people that I know and mash them together to just give me a foundation so that I have a real world example to answer those questions that you you make up in your head and they're fully realized in your head so I usually take someone that I know and make that the the first the primary personality type or physical type or something look or something like that and I'll take that and then I will add stuff from other people or or what is required of the plot and then I'll, I'll make that, round them out a little bit. And then as you write, they take on a life of their own. And then they become their own person. And then opportunities during the story come where you can either highlight a strength of theirs or realize and showcase a weakness of theirs. Yeah, and even though I say that I create characters once they're fully realized in my head, that doesn't mean that I do that without help. Like I said, back in my acting days, things that were gold to me were personality tests, like not taking them, but the results of them, because I could just pick them like, all right, this character is this personality type, especially like astrological zodiac things. They're so descriptive. Right. They are gold. If you are an actor and you have not looked into those, man, they are just fantastic. Right. They're full personality workups. They're full personality workups per month. Like, it's just, it's amazing. I love it so much. I, I do find it all a bunch of crap oh no it is yeah, i don't believe in still, it but it's really cool writing for though. for an actor's trying to develop a character on a deadline if you're ever having a hard time just figure out their astrological sign and they will give you pretty much everything it's amazing and that was especially helpful when i had to write papers on like what my characters were going through right but characters are you know you have to think of them like people you know there's always elements of people that you don't know there's parts that they'll always keep to themselves and parts that you will get to know a little bit better as you get to know them or as situations arise a lot of times people say you don't really know how you if you are in a romantic relationship you don't really know how you feel about that person until you see them at their worst yeah i guess for me a lot of the characters when i'm first creating them are strangers like i wish i was you in this situation where i could take an idea and just kind of see all the little intricacies and nuances of that character Um, but i don't i kind of see them as a as a stranger that fits a role you know and then i have to round out their personality based on whatever the plot has so in other words if a plot we can use jaws as an example there's a great character flaw of the main character of the sheriff so if you were to look at that story and you say, well, this story is going to take place on an island and then on a boat, the best thing you can do is make that guy afraid of water, mm-hmm. right? And so they do. And that's what I mean. So that's the way I would approach it. Like, well, let's see, I know this story takes place on a boat and around water. So, oh, I'll just make the guy afraid of water. It's not like I think, oh, the guy has a fear of water. What situation should I put him in? It's the other way for me. But that's also really cool and really, really helpful to have those things just come into your brain. Yeah. See, I can't turn it off, though, which is very interesting. Like, I 
when I see people, like if I'm at the mall and I see a bunch of people, like automatically my mind's just making up stories for people. I'm, I'm not even <laughs> actively doing that. Like I'll be thinking about something else, but I'll see someone be like, oh, I wonder what they're like. They may be like this or, you know, and then sometimes I'm very wrong. It's also interesting, too, how sometimes the way that people look kind of informs what you think about a character. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So it's it's interesting. It's, you know, to each their own. Okay, so our arch nemesi. In reality or no, for no, Damien Hill? No, no, no. If we're ma- well, no, I'm saying that if we had to make one up. So, and again, we don't have to use every part of our personality, but we can use some of the basic things. For example, so what are the things that are important to me right now? Finishing a book? Um... Uh, being a successful businessman, being a successful father, some things I hate is making a fool of myself in public, and which is always funny because people say, "Well, you were an actor," and it's like, "Well, when you're an ass on stage as someone else, that's, that's nothing." That's completely yeah. different. I hate skits yes, with every fiber skits. of my being. Yes. Whenever people at work are like, "Oh, let's do a skit," I'm like, "No, I, know. I won't do it." No, because it's like, look, I don't want to be me up there being an idiot. I don't mind being someone else being an idiot. Yeah. So anyway, so my arch nemesis would have to be someone that would interfere with those things. It could be like corporate espionage kind of a thing. All right. So that would be a good story, right? A good plot story. So let's Or you could be kidnapped by the government. <laughs> as as happens. <laughs> as happens. Well, how about Well, how would you know, dad? Well, actually, ooh, here's a, we were just talking about struggling through writing. Let's say that um the plot, and again, I'm start with plot, right? So the plot would be that the character who has struggling with writing, like let's say a, a character who is really successful writer but is now struggling with writing, is put under pressure at the cost of his life or his family or something to actually write something in a short period of time, right? No, it'd be good. So it could be a fake document, could be anything, right? But that's a good a commercially successful novel. <laughs> <laughs> at gunpoint. <laughs> at gunpoint. Go. Um, so, and you know what's funny is that if that worked, I could sell books on that process. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that's where I would How start. How to get a man to threaten your life <laughs> yes. and spark your imagination. How to write a novel in three easy days. Um, okay. Easy? Well, I don't know. Anyway, so the point is, is that, so I would start there and then I would look at a character then that would fill that. The, the nemesis then would have to be driving that. So... So then my arch nemesis in that respect would have to be someone who doesn't have the skill to write or doesn't have the interest to write, but is someone who acquires resources based on their immediate needs, is morally challenged because they don't mind putting me or my family's life in danger, and has to be scary enough that even if I complete the task, they may kill me or whoever anyway, right? So that's how I would start, right? From plot first. I would start from, that's a cool idea. And what kind of character would do that? And then you'd have to give the character some sort of flaw. And ideally, with every villain, they'd have to be smarter than you, right? That's always better. Oh, absolutely. The villains are always smarter than the protagonist. Because so. you have to push the protagonist to grow and think through difficult situations. Right. That's a really simplistic way of creating the, at least the germ of a, another character. But that's how I would approach it. I had to think of the story first and then fit a character that would be opposite of that. And then I would probably spend the next three or four days fleshing through all the layers of the character in a way that kind of pop in your head. All those things like what they like to eat and what movie is their favorite movie and what do they do on weekends or whatever. I'd have to do that second or third or fourth as opposed to first. I just thought it would be really interesting to have a protagonist, antagonist or hero villain dynamic where 
the flaws or the the worst parts of the hero are the defining qualities of the villain. And what I mean by that is like, let's say, you know, take Batman, for example. Batman is a little crazy because he dresses up like a bat and goes out and fights people. So there's there is that. that? Is that abnormal? (laughs) Man. So Batman is a little, little, little off his kilter. (laughs) A little loopy. Um and he's very violent because he beats people into a pulp because that's how he deals with the criminal underlings of Gotham City. Right. But, you know, he's a hero because he does those for the right reasons, right? The Joker is also completely crazy and very violent, but does that without any defining structure or he just he just does things, as Heath Ledger said in The Dark Knight. Ah, so in this case, I know where you're going. My arch enemy then would be a failed writer, Right. Yeah, could be. In that respect. And then right? they could steal your work or, you right. know. Or force you to write. Whatever. The point is, is that, that we have similar skills. One's more successful than the other. Or just the moral compass is different, right? And that's an interesting character arc, too. Because for your hero, as they're struggling to not fall in and cave in to the worst parts of themselves that are also defining the person they're fighting against. Right. And from a plot perspective, as I go to, having a successful writer suddenly struggle and a villain who is a failed writer who wants this person, requires this person to be successful, right? That's a good uh, conflict It's a good dynamic. There. Yeah. In a very simplistic way. I mean, it's not a really a good storyline overall unless it's maybe misery or something, <laughs> I guess. But anyway. It could be a Lifetime movie. It could be. They'd both have to be female, though. The characters. <laughs> well, there'd have to be a cowboy in there somewhere. Dad, only if he has cancer. <laughs> All right, so that's the way kind of I would approach it in a very high, simple level. Now, if you were approaching it, so so how I would can you... already tell you who my arch enemy would be. Okay, it would be a spy. A spy. <laughs> a spy, and here's why. Why? Because I don't like being out of control or manipulated. Right. I don't like being stuck places or overpowered, and right. um, I could be a spy. Here's the thing: I actually could be a spy because I am an awesome secret keeper. And I was an actor, and you I like did MMA, MMA and, yeah. so I could totally be a spy. So, but well, I that, also that, have a moral compass. So right. So that. that goes back to what we were just talking about. You'd both be kind of similar, except that person would be stronger, faster, more devious. And that's kind of where villains have strengths that the protagonists with morals don't: is that they are willing to do things that we wouldn't do, which then gives them the advantage. They're willing to put your family in jeopardy to get what they want. Because that's how they're successful. And that makes them more successful than you or I because we would never do that. See, I don't think James Bond and I would get along. Why is that? Because he's a spy. And he doesn't respect women. Nah. He's just kind of very impulsive. He doesn't think things through. I mean, it tends to work out for him, but he also kills people. So there's that. <laughs> so because of, of who you are, that's a, that's a good point. So you would come from it from your character perspective. You analyzed all the list of things that you are. And then you just flip that on its head or, well, you kind of took the similar components and then flipped it on its head from a moral perspective. Well, because for those things, for me, it was really interesting because I very quickly, as you were describing, went through this thought process where I listed my values and then I listed the things that I really, really hate. And the reality is, is that my values are so intrinsically part of who I am that if people don't reflect those values, it doesn't necessarily bother me in a arch enemy kind of way. And part of that is because I'm so religious. So like if someone is very anti-religion and comes up to me, well, my inclination is going to be to pray for them, not to declare war against them. 
What kind of religion are you in? <laughs> <laughs> it should all be about war. Come on now. So for you, where you were listing all your values and you're like, how can I have someone interfere with these values? For me, that wouldn't be a source of conflict. And I think that's also because I've just grown up with an understanding of people on different levels and their values. So having that conflict of value is not necessarily arch enemy material to me, but having someone like like be manipulated or be manipulative really bothers me. So if you had someone who was very manipulative, I think they would make an awesome villain. And I've actually written about a villain like this who is just really good at getting other people to do what she wants them to. Yeah, and I hate, hate, hate when children are in jeopardy or children are abused or anything like that. I hate oh, yeah, when, me too. when the innocence is corrupted like that. In real life, I can't watch crime shows like that. I, I can't. Uh, that's why abortion offends me so much. I just can't. It's so important to me. So, you know, what's interesting is that at the end of the day, both of us end up in the same place. We fully have rounded characters that are in a plot that are in conflict with the main characters or the protagonist's strengths and weaknesses. But we just come about it a very different way. Well, you could also look at those things that really rub you the wrong way, like lying, really just characters that lie, I think are awesome villains, but you know, that that rubs me the wrong way or cowardice. That is something to be overcome, things like that. All writing is a reflection of your beliefs as an author. Like, I would never write a story supporting a teenage sex ring. Like, because that's just, that's not something that I believe in. Now, that could be an interesting plot thing to show the opposite of that, like the importance of chastity. But again, your values, your political beliefs, your, the things that are important to you, they're going to shine through in your writing. So. But it's also tackling those things that do scare you or the things that do offend you the most. I abhor, as I said, children in jeopardy. But in the first Gabby Wells novel, a deaf child is in jeopardy. In the fourth novel, there's a lot of children in jeopardy. And that's because it does bother me so much. So I just try to treat that with respect. But at the end of the day, you're usually writing what scares you. So it's just how the characters deal with it. You're hoping that you're hoping that you're able to bring that subject to a satisfying conclusion. But the impulse to drive your story through those sort of fears actually makes sense as a writer. Because you're right, these are really reflections of the writer. The pros and cons, the fears, and, and so on. So it's just interesting to me how, how different we approach it. But I will write the story. The first draft is very much a plot story, and then I'll fill in all the gaps. And your first drafts will be very much a character study, and then you'll fill in the plot. So, But at the end of the day, you keep writing and rewriting and rewriting because it has to have fully rounded three-dimensional, not two-and-a-half-dimensional characters, and a very intriguing plot. Absolutely. But that's part of the fun of writing is, is figuring out where your characters belong or what you're going to put them through and, and what situations you can create. I think that's awesome. I mean, I hope I get better at this. I'm, I'm assuming I will. Like Everyone gets better at stuff they continue to work on. But I'm so much a plot guy, and it, it's frustrating as I'm fleshing out this new series because, you know, the Gabby Wells character was developed in the, you know, the two-and-a-half-dimensional version years ago, and then through a series of writing experiences was fully fleshed out, and then even more so in these novels. So this is the first time I'm going to be writing a character I haven't spent the last decade with, basically. And so there's so many holes. I'm just realizing now, because I've been living with the Gabby Wells character so long, 
I'm just realizing now just how many gaps there are in these characters in this next novel series. And it, it surprises me that writers can write so quickly. They must just get character stuff better than I do because it's going to take me a little time to create a well-rounded character, both protagonist and antagonist, and any of the subsequent characters that are involved in the, in the novel series too. So it's uh, it surprises me just how many holes there are in their personality. Yeah, but you know, Dad, all of your novel writing weaknesses have been informed by your screenplay writing strengths. Right. So you intentionally don't write everything with characters and screenplays because the actors fill in those roles and the directors fill in those roles. You don't want to predefine a character too much because that removes the artistic creativity of the other people involved in the filmmaking process. So I think that with Gabby Wells, you just didn't have to really do a lot of work on that because you had been living with those characters for such a long time that they already existed in your head very significantly because you can't think about anything else. Yeah, so single focused. So I think that what will be really helpful to you is just to recognize now you've got you've got screenplay characters right now. Right. You've got a cool plot and you're a much better writer than you were when you first started, but right now you've got screenplay characters. So what you have to do is you have to now be the director and the actor and figure out what fills in those characters and then just write that no you're right you're right it's just um it's just interesting because this is like a relatively new experience for me in this respect just because i didn't have to do it with the other ones they were predefined characters it's a cool challenge though i don't i don't hate any of it it's just kind of cool this is part of the creative process i mean at, at the end of the day you can make anything you can you can make any character become anything and do anything in the world you create that's the really fun part so it's it's cool to have that clean slate but the single focus nature of me has also gotten in the way of writing this fourth novel because I really want to spend all of my time focusing on the next series. So the plan I have going forward after this is that after I finish the fourth novel, the Gabby Wells novel, I'm going to let them sit while we do the book cover stuff. And then I'm going to revisit all of the stories and make one more polish of all of them and then release them again under their new book covers. In the meantime, I want you and I to go through and do the three by five card of all the other Gabby Wells books in the series. So there's up to nine stories. So because I want to get that out of my head because I can't really, I need to get it out of my head before I forget it when I move on to the other thing. And then the next thing I want to do is then write the three by five cards for the entire trilogy for the new series. So there's a lot of planning involved. There'll be a lot of writing eventually, but after these four novels are released or re-released with the Gabby Wells stuff, There'll probably be a a lull there while we're hashing out all these plot lines and storylines. But then what'll be great is then I'd have potentially eight or nine novels waiting to be written at any time that I could just jump into. You know, there is so much enjoyment with the power that you have as a writer. I remember there was one time I was explaining to you something in my story that really didn't have, it was a character thing, but it really didn't have like a significant reason or build up as to why I decided this was going to happen. And I think we were driving somewhere and I'm just like, and, and the characters like this, because I decided they were. Like, I honestly didn't have another reason. I just, right. like, <laughs> I'm the writer, and I decided this is what the character is like. Yeah, yeah. And that's cool. And what was funny is that in your the series that you're working on, it was a big deal because you're a character person, but you came up with some very important plot points for mm-hmm. each of the end of the, the trilogy because every book has to go somewhere <laughs> and end somewhere. So your progression in that series was really good, though. I mean, where the first novel ends and the second novel ends and then the climax in the third novel all make a lot of sense. So it's good because you're a character person to be now where I'm going to spend a whole bunch of cycles going through. 
I have the plot, let me create the character. You're going through a whole bunch of cycles of, I have the character, now let me finalize the plot. So that's kind of cool. I just had an idea about my second book, actually. Good. So that's cool. You'll have to tell me after we're done. Well, you could just edit it out, but I'm paranoid enough to say that it shouldn't be recorded. (laughs) (laughs) And your spy nemesis exactly. is out there. You see why this is my problem? I am so Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation. Minus the mustache. Like, but like, I am so obscenely private. And I don't know why I'm like this. Because in my head, I know it's completely irrational to be as freakishly private as I am. You've been this way your whole life. I know. You were born this way. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> no. You didn't grow into it. Oh, I know. Oh, I know too. <laughs> so... But yeah, so this, this is why anyone knowing anything about me without me telling them would be a great threat. And if I'm they... not even interesting. And I'm like, <laughs> who are you? Why do you know where I go to buy my groceries? Yes. And if anyone were to come up to and ask you just a basic general question, you'd be like, why do you want to know? I actually have had that thought yeah. when people come up to you. They're just being nice. And they're like, oh, so uh, so what have you been working on? I'm like, why do you want to know? <laughs> so anyway, this this wasn't a fully realized exercise in character creation. But it just gives a little more insight into that. Again, different paths to the same destination, I think. But I'll be going through that now. So when you guys read your books or watch your shows and movies and whatnot, look at some of the things that are out there. Look at the nemesis and how much smarter they are than the hero. Look at the heroes and the struggles that they have. You know, superheroes are so easy to do this with. Like, you know, Daredevil's blind but has this like second sight through other senses. I mean, I that's, have just, to watch Daredevil. that's just a great thing. So it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily easier. It feels easier with superheroes because they're extreme versions of humans. You know, like you said, Batman, like you could write a vigilante story. You wouldn't have to dress them up as a bat. But if you do, then suddenly everything else is possible. If they live in a world where people can dress up as bats and be vigilantes, then, then you can have a Joker and a penguin and all that. So I think it just feels easier with superheroes because their characters are so big. But you're watching your shows or reading your books. Just look at those aspects of, you know, look at the weaknesses of the main character and see how the writer exploited those weaknesses. Look at the strengths of the villain and look and see if those are twisted on the villain, which often happens. So those are all very good things to do. That all starts with a character. It's just an interesting thing to observe. Of course, if you do this, then I can't be held responsible for many of the mysteries of watching television and reading books <laughs> being diminished. Am I right, yeah, At least we're not doing our spoiler alerts anymore. <laughs> well, like how many times have you said, I can't even watch a show and just enjoy it anymore? Yeah. Especially mystery shows. It's uh, Well, it's so obvious I what's going to happen. There's only so many characters. Exactly. Really that's, fr- that's the thing. There are only so many characters. One of the best... And here's... Again, this is, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but this is just a problem because we've grown up watching movies and stuff. Yeah. I'm going to spoil Source Code if you haven't seen it. So basically in Source Code, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is sent back to this train which exploded in the past, and he's got a certain amount of time before the explosion to figure out who blew up the train. So that's all he's trying to do is to figure out who did it. And, and the story repeats. It repeats, yeah. If the, he fails, it repeats. If he fails, it repeats again and again. So because you see the story more than once, you, you get a different, a little bit of a different view into what happened every time. The characters act a little bit differently each time. But because it takes place on a train, there are a lot of people that could be the bad guy, which is really great because then you have a lot of focus points. But the thing was, is that they showed an insignificant character twice. 
at the very beginning and I'm like he's the bad guy it was like three seconds yeah and I'm like he's the bad guy because they showed him twice yeah if you don't want to know stuff like that <laughs> then don't do anything I just said yeah that'll solve that problem <laughs> remain in blissful ignorance because when it comes to that all right so that's it Dorothea yes it is all right so if you have any questions you can comment in the comment section and if you're a spy you can stay away <laughs> <laughs> you can email us or actually we know a spy <laughs> that's true that's funny you can email me at pete at petebowerbooks.com and please rate us on itunes very well, if you please. <laughs> if you please. If you please. And if you don't, please go ahead and rate us anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, that's this episode. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.